If you would take your scriptures and turn with to Psalm 94. Psalm 94, we'll be reading the entire psalm. Psalm 94. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Rendered punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when you will, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug and for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord has been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devises evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood. But the Lord has been my defense and my God the rock of my refuge. He has brought them on, on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you have promised us eternal life through your only begotten Son. You have also promised us help in living our lives for you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have told us that as we come to you through Jesus, we come with no condemnation. Our guilt and sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus, and comfort is ours through your Spirit. We thank you for such watch care. Help us as we come to your word this morning. Open our ears to hear, our hearts to understand, and let your word cause us to grow stronger in our faith and commitment to you. We place our confidence in your promises in Jesus Christ. Amen. This psalm is a warning, warning to us today as we stand on the brink of falling under tyranny. God has kept us from such oppression because our forefathers saw its dangers and knew that only a sovereign God could keep us from its horrors. They took action to help keep us free. They gave us a constitution that was grounded in the precepts of Scripture. They set up a system of checks and balances that was aimed at stopping those who would seek to become tyrants. They also gave us a Bill of Rights to outline our freedoms and to keep the government in line. This morning we're looking at Psalm 94. In this psalm, the writer 
and we have no idea who that was, but whoever they did, whoever did write it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This man of God saw the horror of living under a wicked and evil regime. He was well aware of what happens when evildoers acquire power. He understands how terrible it can be for God's people and the oppression they can suffer. They have no freedom and no help to save them. They are alone and at the mercy of all wicked men. Hope is driven from them. They are deprived of the freedom of worshiping their God. They are not even allowed to speak of him because that would make the oppressor uncomfortable and cause him to feel guilty. In Psalm 93, we learn of the omnipotent sovereign Lord. We heard of his divine providence and how it gave us great hope and courage in the face of injustice. We were shown how important it was for us to appeal to God as the sovereign judge of the earth. This we should do with enthusiasm and importunity, even as we suffer under the whip. This psalmist rebukes his godless enemies. This man is confident that God is alive. He knows that God controls this world and through his providence. He understands that the same providence brings chastisement on the wicked as well as on the slothful believer. The judgment of God, which we can also call his vengeance, never comes quickly, but it does come surely. This psalm was written as Israel, the Old Testament church, was under attack, oppressed, and persecuted. Therefore, the children of God appeal in this psalm to the judge of heaven and earth, and they plead with him to appear for his people against his and their enemies. As we look into these verses, we will find five perspectives on dealing with injustice and oppression. First, we will learn that vengeance belongs to God. Second, we will find that God knows your troubles. Third, we shall know we can have true happiness even amid injustice. Fourth, we will observe that we can have protection in injustice. Fifth, we shall see that you reap what you sow. The psalmist opens with a call by the church to God. Verse one and, verses 1 and 2. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. This is some really great doctrine. What we see is that the church, no matter how unjustly oppressed and afflicted, must remember the vengeance belongs not to the church, not to the individual, but to God and God alone. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In verses 1 and 2, we find a very simple prayer. This would be a natural prayer, a prayer for a time when innocence is overwhelmed and wickedness is held high. We see, in, we see justice and its execution as a right thing to do. Who could deny this as a scriptural truth? This would mean justice is a very desirable thing to seek after but not as a personal matter of private revenge. It should be when we see a nation enslaved or an individual brought under oppression, then, then we should cry out to God that he might arise and vindicate such a righteous cause. If we examine what is going on in our nation today, 
we can see this played out. When injustice is tolerated, it is because God has withdrawn from the hearts of men and they are allowed to go their own way. What we learn here in this psalm is that the mere sight of God will suffice to warn tyrants to cease their oppression. The psalmist says, rise up, O judge of the earth. We pray that God will get up. Then he will take his place on his throne and be acknowledged by men, as Revelation 19.16 calls him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We also pray that he will rise up as one who is about to strike with all his might. Why should we pray this way? Because the ongoing sin of mankind requires a heavy blow from God's hand. We need just such a blow in our nation today to take the wicked from their high places and give us rest from their evil and wicked ways. He continues, render punishment to the proud. He's praying here that God will give them blow for blow a fair reward, strike for strike. We know that the proud will strike out at those they consider less than themselves. They attack with an extremely heavy hand and repeatedly without mercy. This prayer is asking that God would give them what they have given to others. Charles Spurgeon says, The psalmist thus invokes the retribution of justice in plain speech, and his request is precisely that which patient innocence puts in silence when her looks of anguish appeal to heaven. Now, what does this mean to us in our time? We must never... Never try to take matters of revenge into our own hands. We have to learn how not to react to oppression. We must learn how to calm our hearts and place our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Let him take care of defending you. In Luke 9, John saw a man casting out demons in Jesus' name. He asked Jesus if he should forbid the man from doing this. Jesus told him no. For he's doing God's work. We don't need to defend God. We need God to defend us. If we are going to pray, we need to ask God to come and defend us. We need to be ready and willing to do what God has called us to do. What has he called us to do? The Great Commission commands that we go into this dark and wicked world and make disciples. That is what makes these first two verses so important to us. In making disciples, we're going to face God's enemies and they're going to do what they can to stop us. We must not let them deter us from God's command. Go make disciples. When oppression falls at your door, turn to this psalm and pray that God will reveal himself. Use that as your strength to continue what God commanded you to do. Place your life, your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. He will defend you and bring you to heaven with him where tyranny and oppression will never again come near you. The psalmist cries out to God about what is going on. Verses 3 and 4. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. The wicked triumph. They speak harshly. They taunt and scoff. All of these things they do in the face of Christ 
and his believers. This all causes the hearts of God's people to be filled with grief. This, is, this all leads to a great desire in the hearts of believers to see the kingdom of Satan come to an end. To see sin snuffed out. To see Christ's kingdom of righteousness set up. The hard part of this is the weight it will require. Patience will be needed. The Father has set the time for the fulfillment of the church's suffering, and it will come. Revelation 6, verses 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and from the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? He went on to give them white robes. He gave them white robes and he told them to be patient until the number of those martyred was fulfilled. What did those martyred saints go through? Verses 5 and 6. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Here you're given a picture of what the church will suffer. A picture of what the true believer in Jesus Christ can expect from this world. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you strong enough to stand up and declare Jesus Christ as your Savior? Can you watch your wife and children murdered by wicked men and stop and let God take care of the vengeance? Can you face the evil crowd seeking your life and be calm and give the gospel? Can you show love and concern to these people about their lost souls? Verse 7. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Clearly, the hearts of the wicked are hard. Their eyes are blind and their ears deaf. They think they are good with God. Their works are so great, well, God would not examine us. They, won't, they say they won't do what they do for God and nothing they engage in is sinful. They don't see themselves as being sinful. They don't see the things they're doing is wrong. They think that they're right with God. But they aren't following God's word. They say they have to do these things because they need to defend God against lies and establish his society. Is that what we see happening? They want to change our whole society. They want to remove God from our society. They don't want him anymore. They want to do it their way. But they think they are right with God. What we are shown is that men are encouraged by their injustice toward other men. This comes from a convincing of themselves that God does not see nor care about what happens to his people. Verses 8 through 10. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge. The stupidity of such concept is clearly seen from these questions he puts forward. He makes it clear. It was God who bestowed on man the ability to see and hear. If he made man to be able to see and hear, is it not a surety he himself would see and hear? Not only would he be able to see and hear, but his powers of seeing and hearing would be far greater than man's. 
Is it not true that it was God who instructed the world? He did it through his revelation. We have that revelation in the Bible. And that revelation is infallible and inerrant. It's a revelation of religion, knowledge, and consequences. Is there any way anyone could honestly call God ignorant of the abuse and use which men make of his indescribable gifts? Do you really believe God needs your help to do anything? Look at what he tells us in verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. God is never a stranger to the deeds of men. It says he knows the first thoughts they have. God knows the counsels they speak against the church. He knows how vain they are in their thoughts. He understands that their very imaginations are wicked. The wicked cannot evade the hand of God. They cannot elude heaven's eye or close off the ear of the message of God's power. God knows our troubles. And you know what? That's a good thing for the believer. What we must do is seek his knowledge and follow it. We read his word. Let it guide us in everything we do. If we do this, we will grow strong in our spiritual lives. We see that those who are foolish believe that God does not see their sins. The truth is that God knows our every thought. It is indeed ludicrous to make nothing of God when in fact it is we that are nothing in his sight. As believers, we are in his sight more spiritually mature and thus rule true happiness can and is our ours even when we are suffering under injustice. Verse 12, blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out, teach out of your law. The psalmist is beginning to see by faith that even with the most afflicted believer, all is well. What can we say about the afflicted believer? There are those times when he is under chastisement and he feels less than blessed. I'm sure every one of us has been there. But even under the rod of punishment, he is blessed. He has been corrected by God, and that, my friends, is a great, great blessing. That means he is precious to God or to the Lord, and the Lord would not take the time, or the Lord would not take the time to correct him. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't correct you. Happy is the child of God that he is chastised. He is the man that is being taught by God. He is being trained by his Lord. What does the psalmist say? You instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. The law and the rod, along with the chastening, all go together and are strengthened when used in connection with each other. Suffering without the word is but a furnace for metal, for there is no flux to assist in the purification. It is God's word that when added to the furnace becomes the flux that makes the fire in the furnace to purify effectually. Troubles and persecutions are the fuel that causes us to grow stronger and sharpens our understanding and prepares us to be a better, stronger, and more effective witness. Verse 13 says that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. It's through the furnace 
that we learn to come into the rest of the Lord. We are turning away from our own efforts at earning points from God. We are waiting on him and not on ourselves. In this, we learn that his end is our eternal benefit. Therefore, we come to see that we must abide quietly under his providences and bitter persecutions waiting our time. What we must understand is wicked men may not be ripe for punishment or punishment for them, ready for them. They are digging their own pit, preparing themselves for destruction. Understand, hell is a prepared place for a prepared people. Just as grace prepares us for heaven, so days of wickedness prepare sinners for eternal destruction. The believer is given a very important promise. Verse 14. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. Yes. Yes, he may cast them down at times, but he will never cast them off. There were times of severe persecution when believers would wonder if God had forgotten them. But God never forgets his sheep. He never gives them up to the wolf. The promise is sure. God will never withdraw his love from those who are his. He makes it very clear. He will not forsake his inheritance. His inheritance is made up of all the Father has given him. My friends, it is clear that your God loves you and will never allow you to be lost. He may at times chasten you and in faithfulness correct you, but he will never cease to love you. What will this promise bring about in our life? Verse 15. But judgment will return to righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. You need to hear this. This is important. God as the agent, great as the great judge, will come and take his seat and the reign of righteousness will begin. When Jesus Christ returns, he's going to take his seat on the throne and the righteousness is going to be all around us. He's going to bring that righteousness. The affairs of this world will once again be set straight and all God's people will rejoice. Righteousness will once again be the base of our interactions with others and all the upright in heart will follow it. Tyranny has reigned for too long in this old world. Those who have used the power of government have used its power too long for the basest and most vicious ends. But through prayer, righteousness will be returned to the throne and with its return, every heart will be made right and full of joy and praise. The psalmist has declared that all would be well eventually, but he still has a problem. Verse 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? His problem was he could not see how it will all happen. He's looking, but he doesn't see the end. Who would come alongside of him? Who would help him fight the good fight? Where's his champion? His soul is lifted up and he sees his help. Verse 17. Unless the Lord has been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. How many times? How many times have we faced situations brought upon us by wicked and evil men? Creating circumstances that seem ready to bring on our death. 
to silence our very life. We were all dead in our sins and trespasses, unable to see our Lord and know his wrath, as the psalmist says, unless the Lord has been my help. Jesus Christ was sent into this world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He and he alone is who will rise up as our champion. Without him, our souls would have been brought to silence, chained in the grave until judgment condemned us to hell forever. We cannot just stand silent when trouble assails. Verse 18, if I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. When the believer is walking on the slippery roads of life, when he finds himself falling into temptation, when he confesses his inability to stand firm and cries out to his heavenly father, we see this in Peter when he went to Christ on the water and began to sink. He cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me. When the believer calls out from his heart of faith, a merciful, gracious, and mighty hand will be stretched out to give him all the support he needs to carry on. He learns, as the psalmist says, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. This mercy he speaks of brings hope to his soul. Verse 19, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. I want you to listen to this closely. Nothing, nothing can make us feel more secure than God confronting our anxieties. God takes note of all of our fears. He gives us comfort which delights our soul. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Jesus Christ came to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. He filled us with hope and confidence. He sent the Holy Spirit to give us power to overcome the works of the devil. He overshadowed us with his love and built in us a mind filled with his truths. So we lift our voices in praise and thanks, O Lord, because your comforts delight my soul. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. He is the guarantee of our protection in times of injustice. Now we come to a very important truth. Verse 20. Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law have fellowship with you? Who cannot have fellowship with the throne of iniquity? The you here is God. God cannot have fellowship with the wicked. This verse gives comfort to the faithful that are under persecution. That comfort is that God can never be on the side of oppression and injustice. However, for his own purpose, he may at times allow his children to suffer under an evil dominion that establishes wicked laws. There must always be a distinction between right and wrong. Our comfort is that we know right will in the end win out because our God is a just God. What is the goal of the wicked? Verse 21. They gather together against the life of righteousness and condemn innocent blood. The wicked see righteousness and innocence as atrocious crimes. George Horn gives the evidence for this. For these crimes, Cain slew his brother Abel. The Jews crucified Christ. The pagans tortured and murdered his disciples, and bad men in all ages have persecuted the good because they are righteous and innocent. 
What is our hope against such wickedness? Verse 22. But the Lord has been my defense and my God the rock of my refuge. Jehovah. Jehovah is our defense. We never fear the fiery darts of the enemy because Christ came to us from Jehovah and stands at our side as the rock of our refuge. Thus we can bid defiance to the rage and malice of earth and hell. Verse 23. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. We stand above all the wicked in their ways. Because we are armed with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. We can stand above every effort of fiendish spitefulness and worldly power. We can patiently wait in a secure hope for the coming of that day. The day when Jesus Christ, who hates all unrighteousness and with whom the throne of iniquity can never have fellowship, shall visit the wickedness of the wicked upon themselves. They shall at that time Reap what they have sown. But the righteous, the righteous will reap what their faith has shown. And they will be glorified forever with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I want you to note, there's only one enemy that you have to concern yourself with. That enemy is the wickedness of Satan and those who follow him. There is only one antidote to that wickedness. And that is Jesus Christ and the revelation he brought into the world to show us our God and Father. How can you access this Savior? You can come to him only when you acknowledge your own sin and confess and repent of those sins. Jesus has prepared the way for you to enter heaven, and that way is through your faith and hope in Christ. The title of this sermon was How to Deal with Injustice. I hope you've gotten the answer. Only in Jesus Christ can you find the strength and hope required to face this injustice with patience and hope that a better day is coming. And that day is the day of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have placed our trust and hope in him and him alone. We understand that in this world our faith will be met with resistance and even persecution. It is not in this world we are trying to secure a place, but our place will be with Christ Jesus in heaven. Therefore, we consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So we beg you, O Lord, be gracious to your people and come soon. Our prayer is that our Lord Jesus Christ and his grace may be with us and with all your people throughout this world. Amen.